following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Uh, turn with me if you would to Hebrews 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 today. We're continuing in our series through Hebrews called Never Better. Big idea that uh, this, this book is encouraging Hebrew Christians who had come out of Judaism and then were serving Jesus uh, to continue to do that, not to give up and to turn away. And a lot of the book is about convincing them that Jesus is better than anything and everything that they could be tempted to uh, go back into in terms of worship and practice and all of that. And so uh, the idea is that if, if, if Jesus has you and you have him, you've never been better. And, and kind of regardless of what else is, is going on, the, the main thing is in place. Uh, the other idea being that without Jesus, there's many things that can't get better, things that matter the most, uh, issues all the way down to the core of who we are. So today, Hebrews 6, uh, we find ourselves in what has been described by many as the most difficult passage to interpret or understand in the whole New Testament. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, just based on a rough uh, headcount this morning, it seems like many of you knew that, and uh, my suspicion that many of you were looking forward to Hebrews 6 and uh, watching uh, the monkey dance up here and try to figure out how to deal with it uh, was, was fun for you, and so you, you popped up today. Amen. I'm glad. Uh, actually, I, I, I've also been excited to get to this. I think um, the Lord's going to help us come away with, with what we should from this. So uh, a lot of the difficulty all right, uh, around this is, is a result of a debate that's been going on among followers of Jesus, I say that on purpose, for just about as long as there have been followers of Jesus on the earth. That debate is often framed by the question, can a Christian lose their salvation? That's oftentimes how you'll hear this whole debate framed. I would like to submit to you that that is an unhelpful way to discuss this because I don't think it accurately describes the issues at hand. And so I'm going to deal with that at length as we move through this. But I just want to drop that seed for your consideration now, okay? Now, as often happens when humans debate, these discussions often devolve from a good faith conversation, which is, can be good and helpful and fruitful. They often devolve down into straw man fallacies and unfair caricatures of the other person's position. Many times that's how this ends up going, okay? Uh, so we're not going to do that today. As, as we normally do here at Love City, the goal today will not be to tell you what to think, but to teach you how to think through issues like this, and even this issue specifically. Okay? Some of you are thrilled about that. You, you see and understand the rightness of that. Some of you are like, no, that sounds complicated. Just tell me what to think. I don't want to have to work that hard at it. Um, if that's your position, you're going to be disappointed today, because just inherent in what it is we're dealing with today we're going to get out into the deep end of the pool, okay? You will fully need your gospel floaties on today, all right? Um, there's, there's just no way around it. And so a lot of this is going to, this is going to be less 
preachy and more teachy, okay? Because it's just, there's a lot for us to consider to deal with this in a circumspect, I think, faithful and humble way, okay? So that's, whether or not you thought that's how today would go, that's what you showed up for. So uh, if you're bold and you can make it to the door without me noticing, I guess go for it. Uh, But if not, you know, buckle up because this is what it's going to be, all right? Amen. Um, And I guess you could say, I don't care if you notice. And if you're that bold, I mean, more power to you, I suppose. But uh, my hope today is to present to you with charity, clarity, and fidelity a couple ways these verses can be and have been understood and to humbly acknowledge that faithful and brilliant Christians throughout church history have not come to a consensus about exactly what this means. That was, I got one mm-hmm, over here, that was good. Um, maybe, hopefully I'll do a good enough job for you to be more excited about that idea at the end than it seems like you are right now. Um, but let me drop you on this on you, and I may say this again because it's a really important idea. I may say this again towards the end. Here's, I'm going to submit to you that it is very right for you to think that there have been smarter and holier Christians than you throughout church history who have disagreed with you probably about several things, but for sure probably this in particular. I can't remember the exact details. I need to look it up again because it's such a cool story. But somewhere around the time of the awakening, there was, there was two well-known preachers that uh, disagreed around issues surrounding what we're going to be talking about today. And, and I think a reporter asked one of them, if I'm butchering details, it doesn't really matter. I'm getting to a punchline, okay? So that's the end of the deal. Um, <laughs> and, and a reporter asked him, well, what, what, will you, what will you say to this other preacher that you disagree with very publicly about these ideas uh, if you get to heaven and you were right, or he was right. And this preacher's response was, I highly doubt I'll have the chance to speak to him about it. I expect he'll be much closer to the front of the throne than I am. Mic drop. That's the right way to think. And, and honestly, a lot of what I'm going to be doing today is pushing you towards that, as opposed to giving you my, I have opinions about these verses, don't get it twisted, okay? But what I'm not going to do today is give you my opinion and then spend the rest of the time trying to convince you to think about it exactly like I do. I don't think that's a faithful way to deal with it, all things considered, okay? Um, And that is, however, a different and maybe unfortunately more common approach of how to deal with things like this, Is, is for a preacher to stand up and say, this is the way I think about it, and almost, if, if maybe say it without saying it, that if you don't think about it this way, you're, you're in danger of some kind of sin, or you're going to, you know, take it up to that level, which is not where it belongs, okay? My appeal to us today is to try, though it is incredibly difficult to do, to set aside our preconceived notions or theological systems so we don't minimize or miss the point. Charles Spurgeon said something, I think, helpful um, for us to remember today as we're working through this, okay? Here's what he said. We had better far be inconsistent with ourselves than with the inspired word. I have been called an Arminian Calvinist or a Calvinistic Arminian, and I am quite content so long as I can keep close to my Bible. So you can argue with Mr. Spurgeon about that if you don't like that idea. I very much think there's a lot of humility and wisdom 
in that approach. Now, I, let me say this. I know some of you don't know what he means by Arminian Calvinist or Calvinistic Arminian. Some of you sitting here right now, you don't even know what that means. And I want you to know that's okay. And in some ways, you may be better off. <laughs> okay. So don't worry, because we're going to break things down so that you are not excluded from the discussion today. All right. Um, I was just quoting him, so I had to say it the way he said it. I also know some of you, I kind of already said this, I know this is true, because some of you have told me this. <laughs> some of you have been waiting for today, since the very first moment we announced we would be studying the book of Hebrews together. And to be honest, though I'm glad that you are ones that care about scripture and care about doctrine and theology, you're the ones I'm most concerned about when it comes to the exhortation I just gave you of how we should approach this. Okay? So, with all that in mind, let's read the text, hey? Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Praise God for his word. Amen. I wonder, let's deal with verses 1 through 3. Those are the ones that are uh, less likely to have people ready to box. Um, but I wonder if <laughs> verses 1 through 3 have ever troubled anyone else. Anybody other than me? Verses 1 through 3 have troubled me. Um, and and I, I, I would say most of the time, those verses, they're understood as that the, the things listed here are basic doctrines for baby believers, and, and we need to move on to more advanced things. And what always kind of stuck in my craw about seeing it that way is, is the word leaving leaving these elementary things. Uh, because, sure, I, I totally see how much of this list could be viewed as, as basic Christian doctrine, but as we move into higher and loftier truths about God contained in his word, we don't leave, I, my understanding of it is we don't leave those doctrines. They are the foundation upon which we stand as we reach for then maybe these next or higher things. And so, Another way to see this I, that I have found very helpful and I think has great merit is, is to notice that none of the lists given there are distinctly Christian doctrines. Let me explain what I mean when I say that. Judaism, which this book is written to those that came out of Judaism and maybe were being tempted back into Judaism, right? That's What do I mean when I say that? I, I, I need to be careful not to take things for granted particularly in all of this. So Judaism would be those that followed the Hebrew Bible. They were, they're the people of the Old Covenant, right? So they were the people of Abraham and the ones that 
followed the law of Moses and the tabernacle and the temple and the ceremonies and the, and the sacrifices and all of that, right? So that's, and that still exists today in, in some pockets and in, with wide variance, of course. But so my point is Judaism had teachings about the Messiah though they were mostly underdeveloped until Jesus actually showed up and corrected a lot of misunderstandings. But the same goes for repentance. Jews had teachings about that and faith and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, right? These are all things that the Jewish people knew about and taught about. But they taught about all those things, but, but in, in a way that could be considered elementary until Jesus brought the clarity needed to see the full beauty and meaning of those doctrines, okay? And the biggest tip-off for me that, to suspect that, that that's actually what the author had in mind is the phrase, instruction about washings, okay? Several modern translations have rendered it that way, instructions about washings or, or something along that line. But where maybe a, a problem has come in is those modern translations have, have put instructions about washings. The, the KJV, right, which many of you probably grew up memorizing at least some of the verses that you know in the King James Bible. It's, it's been around a while. And uh, I know, I know there's, there's verses in my head that when I go to like recite it, it's, it's in KJV, right? So I, I, I'm sure that's true for some of you. But the KJV said doctrine of baptisms. And, and that's, <clears throat> you can totally understand why that would have been rendered that way. Because it acknowledges, the, the, the word, the Greek word is baptismos here, okay? But that's a different word than what Christian baptism is called in the Greek throughout the New Testament. That's baptizo. You're like, dude, Greek, I don't care. Well, it's important here, all right? I, I, I promise. Because if there's, if there's a distinction here between Jewish ceremonial washings and Christian baptism, which it, it seems like there might be, then that would be a piece of evidence to understand that Really what the author is saying here is let's move beyond the elementary teachings of, of the, 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 scoop, the scope of how far Judaism could understand these things, and, and, and let's move to where what Christ brought and what Christ taught and what Christ showed brings us up to a, a greater understanding of these deep truths about eternal judgment, resurrection of the dead, all of these things, right? What, what that means, what the purpose of those things are, right? So there's that, all right? Um, the point, the point here is, is there's good reason to think the author has an immature understanding of these things before Christ and his gospel. That, what, that it's, what the immaturity is is not applying the life, death, resurrection, teachings of Christ to these ideas if you go through the list. And that would, it would fit squarely, as I already said, with the overall theme of the book, encouraging Hebrew believers, okay? Not to retreat back into the old covenant beliefs and practices, uh, and not to do that out of either confusion, because couldn't you see how somebody in that time, and I, I think it happens even today, I, I had a discussion with someone very recently, um, and, and I asked them, the, so we were, we were dialoguing about, you know, the meaning of life and if God exists and all kinds of things. We were all around the mulberry bush. It was a great conversation. But at one point I asked them, do you basically think that all religions are, are for the most part, teaching the same thing? They said, Yes, I, th I think that's probably true. And it's like, oh, well, that, then that's a fundamental issue that we'll, we'll have to address because they don't, right? Like, so you can see how a person in this time might think, ah, Judaism, same God, we all think Abraham's cool, we all think Moses is cool, right? 
uh, and then this Christianity thing, like, is there that really, is there that big of a difference? They've got overlap. They've got a lot of the same language. Like, is, is there a big difference? Yes, there's a giant difference. Amen? Okay. All right. Uh, so that's, <clears throat> that's, you know, I'm not sure what to do with that so much. I guess you could just read that and say, well, he's just pressing, you know, pushing on Christians to, to mature beyond basic doctrines and, and continue to grow in their understanding of God. And I'm, there's some people that have seen it that way, and if that's where you're at, that's fine, but I, I don't think that's what that's saying. So there you go. Uh, now we're at verses 4 through 6, okay? These are the ones right here, friends, that... that these ones are the ones that can get Christians out of character sometimes. These verses have caused many to abandon compassionate conversation and instead start coming to each other like Kimbo Slice. All right? Uh, who knows who Kimbo Slice is? I always like to know how my references land. If you know who Kimbo Slice is, put your hand in the air. Okay, if you don't know who Kimbo Slice is, okay, I'm not going to judge you. Put your hand in the air. You don't know what I even mean when I say Kimbo Slice. Okay, so just so that you understand my joke... Um, and now maybe you'll laugh. It's funny, we, we, had a, we had one of Lucy's friends spend the night last night, and I cracked a couple jokes this morning. She laughed, none of the rest of the family laughed. And I was like, you know, thank you so much. Like, it's a tough crowd around here. Because um, I, think, I think maybe, in the right context, I'm funny. But <clears throat> they're, they're, they're over me, I think. So, um, dad jokes, right? Uh, Kimbo Slice was an internet sensation for street boxing. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Sometimes these verses get people wanting to bare knuckle punch each other in their mouths, okay? Um, which is not really, no doctrine should do that to us as, as followers of Jesus, okay? All right. Uh, probably don't go home if you never heard of Kimbo Slice and look up YouTube videos. It's probably not a good use of your time. Um, he's just a really good boxer and knocked a bunch of people out in the street and in backyards and stuff, okay? So. You probably didn't think in the uh, sermon on Hebrews 6 you were going to hear anything about Kimbo Slice or YouTube videos, but there you go. You did. Okay, so what's the deal? The deal is the controversy here swirls around a couple big questions. Okay, Who is the author talking about and what does falling away mean? There's more, many more questions, but if you, if you kind of try to boil it all down, you're going to come away with two big questions here. Who is the author talking about? And what does falling away mean? All right? And we can surely understand why this gets people's undies in a bunch. I, I think we should have grace for that. I'm, I'm saying that's, we shouldn't let it do that to us, but we can definitely understand how it could, especially if no one was, was encouraging you away from getting really uptight about it, because the follow-up statement behind this talk of falling away is, is a statement about it being impossible to renew them again to repentance because they are re-crucifying Christ. That's a very severe set of words put together into a sentence. Would you agree with that? That's, a, that's like, you know, if you're just cruising through your Bible, doing some light reading in the morning, you got your coffee, everything's cool, hit Hebrews 6, you may, you may all of a sudden perk up. You may all of a sudden go, whoa, what does that mean? Okay, so we can understand why this gets people's attention. We can understand why it even gets people in, in, into perhaps a, a more emotional state than, than other verses would. So let's deal with one common question that comes in trying to make sense of this. Um, and and kind of just, we'll just get that out of the way because this one's kind of easy. 
Uh, one question will come right away. Someone reads this and they're like, oh gosh, that's scary. What can that even mean? How does that jive with other things the Bible says? So, so sometimes people will go to, all right, what, what does impossible mean there? Let's go to the Greek, right? It's like, let's go to the comment section. We'll figure it out. Well, here's, I mean, what does it mean in the Greek? It means impossible, okay? It's, that, that's not the way out of this being a hard thing to understand, okay? Uh, this word impossible, it's the same word that this author uses to say it's impossible for God to lie later in this chapter, okay? Like, he, we don't even get out of Hebrews 6. He uses the same word to say it's impossible for God to lie, okay? So what does that mean? Like, it's, because you guys know we're all guilty of hyperbole. We all, we've all said something's impossible. Maybe we didn't really mean it's impossible. It's just really hard. And so you could think, oh, well, maybe the author's just getting into a little preacher hyperbole here. That's, no, the word's on purpose. It's there. We have to deal with it, okay? So we don't get off that easy, all right? <clears throat> that doesn't soften the blow for us here. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning, though, as we move into this, and I rarely see this come up. I'm not sure why, but uh, what the author says here has a bit of a familiar ring to it. Jesus said something similarly shocking. Uh, in Luke 9, verse 62, Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So sometimes, I don't know, it's like sometimes people act like verses, you know, these verses in Hebrews 6 are kind of in a vacuum by themselves, and the, the only place where you see any kind of warning like this, I, also, I just want to make sure we understand, even if you can get down into some details and come up with some way to understand this that, that maybe satisfies you, um, it, <clears throat> this, this is a broader theme than just what's found here in Hebrews. You know, Jesus also said something that we have to contend with, what the heck that means. Okay, so that, just throwing that out there for you to think about. So how you answer the two big questions that, that come up, who is the author talking about and what falling away means, is going to depend heavily on what you believe about salvation and relationship with God coming into it, okay? So you're, you're coming into this, even if today is your first time gathering with God's people, even if today is your first time ever being in a context where people are cracking open the Bible and talking about what it means, you probably have some ideas about how God works. You could maybe somehow have made it this far in your life and had no information influence around like who God is, who people are, how all that's supposed to work, that's possible, but it'd be really hard. And so the point is, we have to be aware of the fact that when we're coming to the scriptures all the time, it's not just this very difficult passage, but it's all passages, we need to be aware of the fact that we're coming with a frame of reference. We're coming with a set of ideas. And, and what's hard is that it's, it's just natural for us to kind of read within our framework or impose our framework onto what we find here. And that's what the quote from Spurgeon earlier was encouraging us not to do. I would rather be at odds with my own understanding or framework than a single word found in the inspired word of God. Okay, so you're going to have to decide right off the bat if, if you even believe that, if you think that's the right way to think. I do, but you're going to have to decide if you do. All right? And if you do, then I'm asking you to try to be aware of what you bring to the table today as far as what you already understand, how you already think about these things. And, and to maybe be open that... <clears throat> You could be wrong. <gasps> Did you hear that? My goodness. 
so there are <clears throat> two major camps within the Christian faith around the issue that, as, as I said earlier, it's unfortunately framed in terms of whether or not you can lose your salvation. At the simplest possible level, some people say yes, some people say no, but it's, it's far more complex than to just stop there, all right? I do, I want to submit to you that I, I don't, I don't like that framing at all. I think it's unhelpful and takes us off the trail of fruitful conversation around the thing. Uh, and talking about losing your salvation, I mean, salvation, I mean, anybody that's, that's looked at a Bible should, should be able to understand that salvation is not like a sock in the dryer that you lose. It's not something that, it's not like that. It's stronger than that. It's not something you're like, oop, I lost it. You know, like, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example later. Of, I mean, there, there are some people on the way on the fringes that talk about it like that. But that's going to be an example of, I, I'm gonna, part of what I'm doing today is I'm going to build some guardrails. And I'm going to try to let you know there's, there's a variance within what we call orthodoxy, acceptable doctrine, that if you've got a Bible and you care about what it says, you're going to be somewhere within these guardrails. There, there's some difference in there, but somewhere within here, to, to be safe about how we think about this. But then outside the guardrails, there's some old goofy stuff that absolutely is untenable from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective. So I'm going to also try to help you identify that. Um, just a little more prep for where we're going. All right. So the, the be, I think the better way to frame this idea is can a Christian, instead of can a Christian lose their salvation, is can a Christian commit apostasy? Can a Christian commit apostasy? That's, I think, a better way to start the conversation if you're going to try to get your Bible out and understand how all that works, okay? And apostasy is, is a Bible word for, depending on what you think, <laughs> either someone who was never a believer continuing in a hardened heart or somebody that is a believer hardening their heart and then walking away from the Lord, okay? So it depends. So in either framework, that, that word kind of means something different, but it, it converges on this idea that you're not with the Lord. You know, people differ on whether you ever were a believer or not, but that's, we'll get there, okay? I know, listen to me, I understand this is complicated. Like, you, you don't have, listen, all you're doing is listening to it. I got to try to, like, say all this, okay? So, I, have grace and mercy on me, man. This is not easy, particularly to do it this way. If all I was going to do was get up here and shout at you for 40 minutes about my opinion about it, this would be so much easier. But I'm trying to, what did I tell you? With charity and fidelity, present to you even ideas that I don't necessarily agree with. And my goal, just so you know, is not to tip you off on where I stand because I'm scared that you'll disagree with me. Please, like, come at me, bro. Come see me. We, I would, I'm thrilled to have those conversations. No, but I, I, I understand that I bear a responsibility. As the, as the primary Bible communicator here, what I think has a high, high potential to sway some of what you think. And I want to teach you how to think. I don't want to tell you what to think. I want you to get into your Bible. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you figure this out. I'm going to give you all the tools, hopefully, to do that. Some of you already, you know, you've, you've walked down this road, but some of you maybe haven't. And so that's, that's where we're at. All right. <clears throat> Can a Christian commit apostasy? So basically, is it possible for a true believer's heart to be hardened 
and go from belief to unbelief? Can a true follower of Jesus reject the gospel and walk away from the faith? That's, that's the, the crux of, the, I'm just trying to expand and, and make clear what I mean by can a Christian commit apostasy, all right? Now, <clears throat> that question, if, if, we were to, if we were to sit down over a cup of joe and we were going to have this discussion, um, Hebrews 6 is likely a place we would go if, if we knew our Bibles and we wanted to talk about this, okay? So, that idea, now I want it to bring us back to the text and for us to look at the next set of verses, and I want to explain to you some different views about how people see this. So I'm going to have multiple things going today. I need you to work hard to hang with me, and there's no way around it. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Two major camps. You either, a, a true believer can reject Jesus and walk away. A true believer can't do that, Okay. So it's kind of, that's the two main headings. And then underneath that, I'm going to give you some other headings of ways people specifically understand these verses, but a lot of how you end up understanding these verses is going to be influenced by where you already stand in the two major camps. You with me? Okay. And, um, and, and, and what we're not going to do is say, well, at this church, we're in this camp, and if you're in this camp, well, hell's hot. You know what I mean? That's not... That's, <laughs> It's not going to be the approach, okay? Because that's unfaithful. It's uncharitable. It's, it's, un, it's not humble. I, I genuinely want to be able to stand where Spurgeon stood that I told you about earlier, and this other guy whose name I'm, I think it was Whitfield, one, one of those guys, that, what, what, that when he was asked, I'm sure, what do you think that reporter thought the guy would say? If he, you get to heaven, you find out, you know, you were right, or he was right, or whatever, Probably some kind of fun, witty jab or something. For this brother to say, I don't think I'll probably get the chance to talk to that guy that I disagree with because he'll be closer to, so, clo- so much closer to the front than me. I, I don't know. That, that strikes a chord all the way down in my heart. That's how I want to be. And that's what I think the totality of what the scriptures teach would lead me in how to approach this. Okay, so... Let's, let's read these verses again, and we're going to look at, at kind of four main views how people see this, all right? <clears throat> Verse 4, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. When I say, question number one is, who, who is the author talking about? This is what I'm talking about. So when you read, those who have once been, in, been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. So who is that person? That's, that's one big question here. Is that person a believer or is that person someone who appears to be a believer? That's one big question you got to answer. Okay. Then what? And then have fallen away. We need to know what that means because on the back side we have then it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God, put him to open shame. All right, so I'm going I'm to give you four views. Smarter and holier people than me and you all hold these views. And so what I'm telling you is, as, as far as being a member here, as far as being a part of Love City Church, you can hold any of these views. I have an opinion about them. I'm going to try not to be obvious about it really hard. Because uh, some of these, I think, have more merit than others, um, but 
I can understand how someone could get to any of them. Okay? So, the first is, uh, and you've got to give it a heading, of, but it's, it's kind of hard. But the first I'm going to say is a rewards, not salvation view. So this falling away, this, this, this warning is about the potential of somebody not losing salvation. Like they, they, could, they could stay in, in a place of where they are saved before God um, by grace through faith in Christ, because that's how people are saved. But what's at risk here, if, if they fall away, is, is, is rewards in heaven or some kind of status in heaven. And so what that does is, it, it, particularly for somebody that stands on the side of, a, they look at the totality of what the scriptures teach and, and they, they say, no, I do not think a Christian can commit apostasy. I don't think a true Christian can walk away or reject the gospel once they've been truly saved. Then, so if, if you bring that to this, then, then you're looking for this to maybe be about rewards and not salvation because you don't believe that somebody can walk away or reject God once they've truly come to faith, okay? So that's one, that's one view. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of risk in this. I'm going to go ahead and say I, that one I've, I'd probably put on the lower end of the totem pole of possibilities here. But if you look at it and genuinely end up there as a result of <clears throat> taking all things into consideration, I wouldn't argue with, try to argue you out of it, okay? The second is the hypothetical view. This one's more common than the first one, um, and I think has, has slightly more merit, but um, the idea basically here is that what the author's doing, it's, it's not a warning about a real thing that can happen. It's, it's a hypothetical warning that basically, and, and, and I think there's, there's is some stronger considerations for that because the whole idea about like crucifying Jesus again, I mean, that's, that's for sure imagery language to, to let people understand like functionally what it's like that you're doing by this falling away. But in no way is that actually going to happen. In no way is Jesus going to be again crucified. That happened once and that's not happening again. So if you kind of, if you open the door to that idea, then you can end up that Kind of the rest. Of what what the, the warning here is? It's it's hypothetical. It's meant to get your attention, um, and and almost because then in verse nine, the author pivots to like, but you know he starts to say like, we're well, let's just read it, <clears throat> verse nine. But beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. So some people read that and they're like, there you go. See, that, that was that was a hypothetical. It was meant to get people's attention, but. But he, he already answers and says, well, he doesn't really think that that applies to them, okay? And I, I could get that, and I can totally understand why that would be uh, your position. If, if I was having a discussion with someone about it, I would say, yes, I, I can see that, but he makes a distinction about the people he's writing to, these, these Hebrew Christians, but, but it seems like he's talking about another, even if he's not saying that he thinks the, the recipients of his letter, that this warning applies to them, it does seem to be that he is talking about some group of people that maybe this warning applies to. So, but I can see how you could get to the, the hypothetical view, and if, if that's where you were at, <clears throat> all things considered, again, I, I wouldn't come at you um, unless you just wanted to chat about it, and we could. Uh, but <clears throat> the, the third is uh, the false believer view, okay? And so the false believer view reads... Um, 
For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, uh, they would say that person is somebody that uh, appears to be a believer but is not. Um, and, and oftentimes, if that's the position, I think, and this is a strong argument to make, they would go to the words of Jesus who said, you know, there's people that are going to do miracles. They're going to do wild stuff, cast out demons, all kinds of things. And then, but when they come before me, they're, and they're going to say that, Lord, didn't we do all this good charitable things? Didn't we do these things that even it, it seemed like supernatural power was included in the mix? Lord, we did these things. And he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. Right? So that you could totally see how, how somebody could, could read all that and say, well, this is somebody that maybe has had very vibrant spiritual experiences or come, come up very close to a place of salvation, but they, they are not yet saved. They are not somebody that is a true believer, and that is how they are able then to kind of come up to the line and then fall away, all right? Um, I think that is a totally valid possibility. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, and the fourth view, oh, let me also say this, good, balanced, humble teachers and, and Christians that hold that view, good ones, they, they will admit it's difficult to establish the idea that these are, are almost believers just from what is said here. They'll readily admit they're, they're looking at the rest of what scripture says and letting that shape the way, because if you just take those phrases in verses four and five on their own, it, most of them would say, yeah, that does probably look like a Christian. But it's, it's not a wrong thing. We need to understand this from a Bible interpretation standpoint broadly. It's not a wrong thing at all if you have a set of scriptures that you come to, and, and for whatever reason it's unclear to you, to go to the rest of scripture for help on how to understand that. That is, that is a basic way that we do Bible interpretation. Very clear verses interpret, help us interpret the less clear verses. That's that's 100% right. So I, I'm, I have no argument against that. I think it's, it's, it's the right way to do it, okay? The fourth view would be that believers can fall away, that believers can commit apostasy. So people that would read it that way would, would look at all of these things. The, the question, who are we talking about here? They would say that is a genuine believer, somebody that's uh, been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, been partakers of the Holy Spirit, they're saying, I, I don't see any way around that being a believer. That would be their position. And they would say, then what that has to mean is that falling away means uh, some kind of willful rejection uh, and, and hardening of the heart where someone goes from believing and trusting in Christ and his gospel to not. Okay? So that would be the way they would see that. Also, I think people with that view would... There's other parts of Scripture that they would appeal to to say, I, I, think, that, I think that these other parts of Scripture would, would back up the fact that that's possible. People on, on the other main side that know that believers can't do that, they also have some very strong uh, Scriptures that, that they could come to that seem to be pointing us. This, you got to come to this humble conclusion at some point, or I think be in error. The biggest error here is a lack of charity and humility possible. 
Uh, that's the biggest potential problem here in my view. Because you, you, at some point, you have to come to the humble recognition that if you know, we're 2,000 years deep into this thing of following Jesus and, and the church being on the earth, and if, if you've had genuine, faithful, and brilliant Christians and theologians and teachers and, and everyday church members thinking through this and, and debating this and not being able to come to consensus on it, for that long, obviously this is, is not as, as clear as we wish it was. Obviously there are some verses that seem to really strongly point to the idea that if you are saved, Jesus said, no one's snatching those that are mine out of my hand. That's, that's hard to contend with if you're standing on the side of, I, I think Christians can harden their heart to the point where they, they can rebel and, and, and walk away and, and not believe what they once believed. You, you got to deal with Jesus saying, no one's snatching anything out of my hand. you got to deal with Romans 8 that says, there, no, nothing can separate. Not height, nor depth, no power, nothing can separate from the love of God. you got to deal with that. But also, if, if, if you kind of lean into those and that's, that's where you stand, there's a bunch of verses that you have to deal with that seem to be saying, a believer can willfully reject the gospel once they've received it. You got to decide which problems you're willing to live with is really what it comes down to and humbly acknowledge that that's, that is where we stand. And, you know, I, I, anybody that would get to glory, anybody that would be standing in the throne room of God one day when this whole thing is wrapped up and, and then, and then we find out kind of like who was right. Anybody that would be like, I don't think they're going to make it. Anyways, all right, that's, that's, no, that's, that's not the kind of attitude that somebody that realizes they're so spiritually bankrupt, their only hope is to fall at the feet of Christ and ask for his mercy and help, is, is going to be acting like that. That's probably an overstatement, so don't take that to the bank. I'm just, I'm really, man, at the end of this, absolutely the thrust of this sermon is not to convince you to think one way or the other about this. It's, one, if you're somebody that's never thought about it, I do want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to get into your Bible. I want you to read broadly about it. I want you to ask questions. I absolutely anticipate a large percentage of the next week or two of my life is going to be answering questions as a result of all the stuff that's going to come out of my mouth thus far in the rest of this sermon, for sure, which is fine. That's great. I'm looking forward to it. So if you haven't thought about it, I want you to think about it. But if you thought about it a lot and you feel very confident, and or, and I don't even mind you being confident in your position, but if you're cocky about it, or you, you have disdain for someone that doesn't see it the same way as you, the primary point I want to come out today is a corrective to that attitude. Because that's dangerous. If falling away is possible, that'd be the road to it. One of them, for sure. Ooh, that's kind of set a shudder up your spine, didn't it? That wasn't even in the notes. That was off the dome. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So every one of these views have problems depending on where you land on the question of apostasy being possible. Okay? Every one of them. You can be a part of this church and hold any of those positions as long as you're willing to admit humbly that there are other viable possibilities. You can also be a part of this church and hold either of the two views on apostasy as long as you are willing to humbly admit the other position has uh, scriptural support, and, and you're willing to not demonize those 
who hold the opposite position of you. Okay? Now, let's build some orthodox rails. Let's understand that there is, within what the Scripture says, there has to be some charitable room to see some of these things differently, but then there are iterations, manifestations of some fringe ideas that jump over the rails, and they are unchristian. They are unbiblical and should not be held to. All right? So that's, that's what we're going to work on now. <clears throat> so if, if, you're, <clears throat> if you're on the side that apostasy is possible at all, okay, here's, here's what we need to make sure we understand. If, that's, if you stand in that camp, that whole idea is so often misframed terribly and, and misunderstood. Because the Bible doesn't allow for the idea that someone who is struggling in sin, being an apostate, the reason for that is that they're struggling in sin. And most of the time when you hear people talk about the possibility of, if, they, if what they think here is that Hebrews 6 is talking about genuine believers falling away. Typically what people think about is somebody in, out in sin, acting wild, or, or some kind of besetting, repetitive sin, or whatever. And that's what they think would indicate that that person's an apostate. I actually heard a, I use the term loosely, preacher, stand up one time in a pulpit, and say, every time you sin, your name begins to be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. I need a pile of bricks or something up here to throw when I hit the, the, that point, just any point in a sermon, because right there I wanted to kick this pulpit over. That's ridiculous. There is nothing in the scripture that will allow for you to have the position that every time you sin, some angel's job is to sit up there and start erasing names. That is as ignorant as the day is long. That's a weak gospel. That's a weak salvation. It's a terrible atrocity that anyone would ever think that or for sure say that from a pulpit. That's out of bounds. That's out of the guardrails. We already encountered the idea in the book of Hebrews of what... It, here's what I'm trying to say. Paul the Apostle in Romans laments about the idea that oftentimes... this is He's at the point where he's writing the book of Romans. He's spent the time in Arabia. He's received the gospel. Jesus has already used him in incredible ways to begin to birth the New Testament church throughout Asia and elsewhere, right? He's in, clearly, as he's writing the book of Romans. And up in chapter 7 starts talking about wretched man that I am. So often I end up doing the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. Talking about this struggle we still have as believers with sin, that we still have with temptation. That coming to Christ doesn't mean I'm now going to behave perfectly forever, but there's still going to be a process of sanctification. The end of that process is glorification, where all temptation to sin is gone. Striving ceases, there's no more fight, sin is dead, the devil's stomped out, and we finally and totally win. Hallelujah, I'm looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, every single one of us are going to have a, a, a continual battle with sin. 
If the idea is, and this, this is again fringe, outside of the guardrail, you'll, you'll hear some people say, um, if, <clears throat> if, if, you, if you sin and don't repent, and then you get in a car accident, you better, you better be repenting all the time, you better stay on your knees in repentance, because if you, if you sin and then you die without repenting, you're going to hell. That's a damnable idea. Let me just give you one reason. I can give you lots. Every single one of you within the sound of my voice and the guy whose voice is going out right now, every single one of us have stuff busted and broken about us that we aren't even aware of yet. So if what the Bible taught is that if you got some sin going on and you haven't repented for it, and what happens is you get, you know, sideswiped by a, by a daggone semi like I did two years ago, and it doesn't go like it went for me, you end up dead. Sorry, you're going to hell. That's pitiful. That's a weak gospel. That is not represented at all in the scriptures. So what am I saying? I'm, I'm going to give you the guardrails. I'm going to give you what, what's outside the guardrails. If any part of what I'm talking about right now, if you're at like, every time you sin, my, my, you know, my name's being erased out of the Lamb's Book of Life, I'm coming to challenge you right now and say you cannot faithfully hold that position and care about what the Bible actually says. No. You cannot faithfully hold the position that if, you're, if, if, if you sin and, and don't immediately right in that moment repent and, and die, that that means you're going to hell. You can't hold that position. A position that you can hold is that if somebody somehow through some long process, and, and the Bible's not, that's part of why this is a question, but if somehow your heart is hardened to the degree, what, in Hebrews 3, we already saw what the real issue is. It, it, it wasn't about a list of sins. What, what, kept, what kept the people of Israel out of the promised land? Remember? Hebrews 3, we're there just not that long ago. And, and so he goes through this whole thing, spells out what happened, and then there's this summary statement. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. He says, they could not go in because of unbelief. Unbelief was the issue. Don't you think with, I don't know, there's all kinds of estimates, a couple million people, maybe less, maybe a little more, I'm not sure. However many people were bumbling around in the wilderness, moving around with tents and just kind of hanging out, you know, this long camping trip, are you trying to tell me that, that you, do you not think some sin was happening among the people? I mean, that's probably why God made some rules. Do you think some adultery was happening? Everyone's out on this camping trip for this long. You don't think somebody's sneaking over into someone else's tent and some things going on that shouldn't, should not be? Absolutely. But is that what God came and talked to him about when it was like, you're not going into the promised land? Y'all been out here in each other's tents and all this, or you've been stealing from one another. You've been doing this or that. I know some of you are freaking out. Just give me a second. You're like, well, hold on. Well, what are you saying? I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. Give me a second. Unbelief is the root cause of being willing to continue in sin like that with no repentance. That's the issue, okay? So at the root is unbelief. If you have somebody, the Bible does make very clear that possibly what you've got, if you've got somebody that just doesn't care what the Bible says, if you've got somebody that whether they acted like they did at one point or never have before, but they're, they're just continuing on to defy what God's law says, what loving the Lord looks like, obedience to him and all of the things that he's told us he wants us to do or not to do, the root issue there is unbelief. Okay? So, 
What, what you can't do is say, oh, I see a, 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 to me, I see a Christian who is struggling and striving against sin. That's more evidence to me that they truly belong to him. As a matter of fact, I've heard somebody go so far as to say, the biggest sign of a true believer is not that there's no fight with sin, it's that there's an incredible fight with sin. Because if we go back to the premise that none of you are perfect yet, and that shouldn't be a mind blower if you've been around here longer than five minutes. If you haven't, then let me introduce you to the idea. You are not perfect. And so what does that mean? That means there should be striving. That means there should be a fight. Every one of us should have a fight on our hands every single day to deny the flesh, to deny the temptation of the enemy, to make war against sin and all of its effects. There should be a fight. If there's not a fight, that's where you need to be worried. Okay? Now, that, so apostasy, somebody could believe apostasy is possible, but you, you can't be over the rail talking about names being deleted out of Lamb's Book of Life and or uh, if, if somebody sins and doesn't think to repent immediately and dies, they're going to hell. Nope. But if, if you believe there is some process where a heart can be hardened and, and a rejection of, you go from belief back to unbelief somehow, and, and I, 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 that's hard to understand even how that's possible, but if the totality of what the scriptures say, you end up in that spot, that is something that is within the bounds of orthodoxy that many people have, <clears throat> solid believers, brilliant believers have said that I look at everything the Bible says and I do think I have to contend with that being a reality somehow. Okay, but there are also equally holy, brilliant people who would say apostasy is not possible. Okay, but there's a guardrail for that too. Which you, so you absolutely looking at the totality of what the scriptures say. Let's say um, Jesus and John saying nobody's snatching any any of my kids out of my hand. Uh, Romans eight, nothing separates you from the love of God. If that if if you find great comfort in that and that and you look at the totality of what the scriptures say and you've prayed and asked God to give you wisdom and you've come to the understanding, I don't. If someone's a true believer, and then and then they go they go sideways. What that tells me is they never were a true believer, right? That that, that a true believer is not going to be able to fall away as these. At, to use the language Hebrews 6 uses, if that's where you stand, hallelujah, amen. Could totally, I could understand how someone could be on one or the other. But over here, over the guardrail on that side, are things like, uh, if you believe once or say a certain prayer, you're guaranteed to be saved. That there's no after that uh, kind of... <clears throat> verification needed. Like if you, if you say the right words that somebody leads you at an altar call to say, it's like a magic cadence that turns you from one thing to another. And, it, and after that, it just really doesn't matter. Okay? No. <laughs> All right? Faith without works is dead. Okay? If somebody has truly been changed by the power of Christ, if somebody has truly come to experience the love of God and then loves him in return, there will at least be a striving against sin. I'm not saying they won't have a bunch of messed up stuff still going on in their life and a big fight on their hands. Almost certainly they will. But this idea, the idea that you can just, you can just say a prayer, you believe one time, and then it doesn't matter what you do, this kind of hyper-grace understanding of how things work, that's out of bounds. That's out of bounds of what the Bible allows for. Okay? Clearly, 
Faith without works is dead. If you have true faith, you really love Jesus, you will at least be striving to obey him. Okay? And here's, what, here's another thing I want to say to you. So I just, I, what I just tried to do was, if you imagine a road, I tried to build guide rails for you. You can walk anywhere on that road and be within biblical orthodoxy. You jump over the rails, you're in trouble, come back from the ditch over there. Okay, but what I want you to understand when it comes to discussions around this within the family of God, what people oftentimes tend to do is maybe they do stand on kind of, if there's two lanes on the road in between the guardrails, one is apostasy is possible, one is apostasy is not possible, and then over here you've got all this wild stuff, okay? If they start to debate each other, a lot of times what ends up happening is they throw these false caricatures at one another as if they, they are advocating for those fringe ideas, those unbiblical ideas. That is, that is an uncharitable and, and absolutely foolish way to try to have these conversations. Honestly, if, if I'm your pastor and you, you care about what I think, then let me just pastor you for a minute and say, my exhortation to you is not to get into conversations about this with anybody unless it's somebody that you know well and you have agreed the reason we're doing this is for mutual edification and because we trust each other and because at the end of it, no matter where we disagree, it's not going to be a problem. If those rules aren't in place and you're just in the comments section of a blog ready to do battle, I would just encourage you to close the browser. Or if you're at some party and there's someone you don't know, and let's say they're a loudmouth and they're going on about their position about this or that on this doctrine or that doctrine, you know, don't don't end up in a scrap, you know, with Cheetos flying everywhere and and, and the party ruined because you know you just couldn't stand for this this loudmouth heretic. Okay, the, their conversations around this can be awesome. I you know I've had many sitting around a fire sitting across a, a table from somebody and, and getting into long, very thoughtful conversations around this that, and, and with that person, I don't agree on some of the finer points. That's, it's, it's a great exercise. It's, it's good for the mind and it's good to have, have your kind of horizons stretched and to rethink your way through it. All of that's very valuable, but only, only with rules. Okay, so there. Do with that what you want. All right, so I think we have a framework. I think we have a road. Now let's talk about two rubber meets the road applications because that is ultimately where the author goes, which I think is really very helpful. Because included here, we don't just have the verses that everyone wants to, you know, roundhouse kick each other about. We also have uh, verses seven and eight. He goes, this is helpful to get the point. And that's what I'm saying. All the work I've done today is to try to get you to not miss the point because this is, one of, this is maybe the premier example of New Testament sets of verses where you could miss the forest for the trees. You, you understand what I'm saying? Somebody does. Okay, so f- for ground that drinks, this is all this stuff that we're like confused about and we're arguing about and man, I don't know what that means. There's... There's a helpful analogy at the end to kind of help us get the actual point, which is not the debate we end up in about these verses. And that happens so often, man. People end up arguing about stuff. That the, like the passage itself makes clear that's, that's I mean, that, that's not really the point. But like we're way off over here arguing about all that. And it's like, but the point's over here. And the point isn't that mysterious. The point is for ground that drinks the rain, 
which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. Okay? So ground that does what it's supposed to do, ground that gets rained on and grows good things that are helpful, God blesses. If it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless, close to being cursed, ends up being burned. Okay? That's not, that's not that hard to understand. James said, faith without works is dead. Okay? Jesus said a bunch of stuff about, look, man, uh, trees bear fruit. Bear good fruit. Bad fruit, we're going to cut you down and burn you. All right? Like, this is, this is not revolutionary. This is not way out there. It's not some idea we haven't seen before. It's, and the fact that it's repeated over and over again by different authors throughout the New Testament means maybe that's something I should keep in the front of my noodle instead of in the back. Right? Okay. Okay, so two rubber meets the road applications. Here's part of why this gets so touchy. It's really where the rubber meets the road. The first application is where, where this starts, this gets people like that. I don't know what that is. I was just, just trying to give you an example. <laughs> Somebody reads this and they ask the question Am I this? That's a rubber meets the road application. Is this talking about me? Okay? Here's, um, here's what I want to say to you about that. If, if reading this warning about falling away, if it, if it troubles you, if it makes you go, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope that's not me, then there's almost no chance it's speaking of you. Why do I say that? I'm going to let C.S. Lewis summarize. It is safe to tell the pure in heart they will see God, for only the pure in heart want to. That's from C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain. If you're saying, who is C.S. Lewis, or what is the problem of pain, go read that book, please. And then just about anything else you can get your hands on by him, okay? That's the big point. If, if, if you're worried, if you're worried at all that you've fallen away, you probably aren't the incredibly hardened heart that has, has now rejected the truth of the gospel, if that's possible. You understand what I'm saying? That's not, it's, it's not you. But that is a major, and I think that's even sometimes the motivation, of, there's a, 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 um, a good shepherdly motivation of wanting to button this up. I feel the temptation to say to you, look man, these verses aren't talking about Christians. Don't worry about it. If you're a Christian, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Because I, I sit with the people that have the vexing fears around if they've lost their salvation. Okay? But if you care about that, okay, then it, if it's possible, it's not you. If, if you're somebody that's fallen away, as this is talking about, your heart would have to be so hard, you would not be caring about it. You wouldn't be going, oh man, is it me? You wouldn't be wringing your hands. You'd be in defiance. Okay? So that, that rubber meets the road application. Don't, don't live in fear over this. If you care about it at all, it's very likely not talking about you. I, I, and I'm only saying very I mean, I, I really feel like I can say it's not you. Okay? Maybe almost... I would, I would find it more likely that someone that has never come to Christ maybe could read that and have a, a tinge of something affect them. Then like, oh man, what does that mean? I, and then God may use that to bring them to him. Or, or, or a believer is going to read that and go, oh man, I don't, I don't want that to be me. 
But if you're, if you're over here in, in, if apostasy is possible, and I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it isn't, but if it is, if you're over here what, where that's talking about, it's, it, this, that's not going to scare you, it's not going to bother you, you're not going to be worried about it. Because you'd have to come to a, such a place of unbelief that, that you're not even caring what that says. You understand? Okay. All right. Nobody does understand. You're just staring at me, but I got to keep going. So I don't have time to work on it anymore. It seemed like you really liked the C.S. Lewis quote. Maybe we should just stuck with that and not try to explain what it meant. Go, go read Lewis on it then if, if I'm butchering it and whatever. He surely is more articulate than I am. Okay. So second rubber meets the road application. So first is, am I this? Is that talking about me? The second rubber meets the road application is, are they this? Speaking of other people. So that could be looking at someone in your life that you care about. It could be, uh, worse iterations of that would be looking at people you don't like very much and saying, oh, look at, that's probably what they are, right? <laughs> like, so, and here's, here's how I want to encourage you about that. Here's what I want you to think about. I need you to use your imagination with me. I'm almost done, okay? I know, this has been... This has been hard for me to manage mentally be able to get it to you, so I know it's been hard for you to try to manage mentally hearing it, but the Holy Spirit's going to help us, and these are very important things, and I'm, I'll be around after. We can talk through this as we move on down the road. I'll, you know, I know, this is a lot, but are they this? That's the other, <clears throat> because that's really where, what it ends up coming down to. Why people get so emotional about this is they're, they're worried it's talking about them, or they they, they want to know, is that, does that apply to these people? And what does it mean if it applies to these people and for different motives? If you really care about someone, you don't like the idea that they could fall away. Um, if, if you're more cantankerous and you have a poor attitude, you might think, oh, well, that's probably what they are, right? They're apostate, reprobates, or what, you know, whatever word you want to throw around, heretic. Um, here's, here, let's do this thought exercise, all right? If, <clears throat> let's say Judas did not go throw the money into the temple. And that's also a Bible difficulty because he did that, but also somehow he bought a field and hung himself. So I don't, I don't know. I've not been able to figure that one out yet. But in any case, the Bible says Judas hung himself, right? That's the point. Forget about the silver. I shouldn't have even said that. Judas hung himself after he, after he betrayed Jesus. Everyone right? got that? Okay, let's say he didn't. Let's say instead of hanging himself, he went and found Peter and was, was standing next to him at the fire when Peter rejects and denies that he knows Christ three times. Okay, so you got Judas that just betrayed Jesus, right? But he's not dead yet. Okay, so, because the hanging, I mean, it kind of gives you an idea. Yeah, he, it didn't seem like he got right with God, okay? But let's say Judas, Judas didn't do that. He goes and stands next to Peter. So we got Judas that just betrayed Jesus, and we got Peter that just cursed some little girl out and denied Jesus three times. And so you're standing there, and you're looking at both of them. At that point, forget that you know the rest of the story. Can you do that? Block that off from your mind. You don't know what's happened. You're, in a, you're, you're looking at it as it plays out. Could you look at Judas and look at Peter and figure out with any level of certainty which one was going to end up restored to Jesus or not? Are some of you still thinking? Because I, I thought I built something here that wasn't that hard to answer. No, you could not. You would have no idea standing there looking at it which one was going to be restored to Jesus or not? Okay? Take that principle and apply it to are they this? You don't know. That's God's business. God is the one that can see hearts. And, and that's really important because we don't get to decide 
who to give up on. We don't get to decide uh, that person's beyond salvation. We don't get to decide what, whatever it means that it's impossible for them to be restored to repentance. If that, whatever, that, whatever you think that means, God's going to know if that's the case. You are not. So we continue to pray. We continue to love. We continue to serve. We continue to hope forever, and we let God handle end results. Fair enough? Part of what I'm trying to show you is the rubber meets the road applications, the thing that gets us really emotional about this. At the end of the day, which, which way you understand the finer points of this doesn't really affect how it applies. When you bottom line this, we probably didn't need to be at each other's throats as hard as we are sometimes. You should also probably assess some of your motivations of what might, maybe, maybe has made you lean one way or the other. Okay, all right. So then we come, to, we come to verses 7 and 8, the actual application that's given here. Everything that I just went into, genuinely, <laughs> it's not because it's necessarily the point of these verses. The reason I had to do all that is because this is what we've done with these verses. Because the actual application is 7 and 8, which is not that hard to understand. Faith without works is dead, if you're living in rebellion and defiance to God, you may not be a believer. You may not really love him. Because if you genuinely belong to him, you're going to be like ground that when the rain falls on it, it does what it's supposed to do. It yields a crop that is useful. People that genuinely belong to Jesus are going to yield fruit. That's the application the author thought. He's like, okay, I've said all this stuff. Now, how do I, how do I summarize this? Oh, I know, an analogy. Ground and rain and vegetation. That's what he thought the point was. What, how do we end up where we oftentimes end up? Whatever, man. You guys can wholly stare me down all you want. Go home and read it some more and see if I'm right or wrong about that. <clears throat> I, think, I think in humility, we, if, if, if your position is more the side of if someone's living in rebellion and rebellion and defiance to God, that they, well, that is the humble way to say it. They may not be a believer. Because again, go back to the Judas and Peter thing. You don't know, man. You don't know. Because some people that generally belong to Jesus act stupid, sometimes for extended amounts of time. And part of our problem is we want to be able to know exactly what to say about that. We want to know what's going on there. Sometimes, when someone's acting real stupid for an extended amount of time, they never came to Christ. The, the gospel's never really changed their heart. That's how they're acting that stupid. But sometimes, I, I don't know how. They do really belong to Jesus, but just act that stupid for a long time. And then it turns out, I don't know, God ends up using that stupidity for his glory and their good in the long term. Tell me you haven't seen that happen before. Tell me... Many of you, and I'm not going to look at you, haven't experienced that yourself. Peekaboo. Okay. Sweet Jesus. This isn't as complicated as we make it. So it is possible there are some who have hardened their heart towards Jesus and his gospel. And it's possible, I think we have to be open to the possibility, humbly, that it's possible that that what this means is somebody can do that to the degree that they will, they will never repent. 
If it's possible, it's never that you reach some kind of undetermined line that God has, and he's like, okay, you, you cross that, now no more. Now I'm going to cut off the possibility of repentance to you. It's, that there, it's stating the fact that there is a, a, a hardening of the heart that you can get to where you will no longer turn back to repent. Okay, that's if, if, if you're in, whether you're on the side that, yeah, I think apostasy is possible, or you're on the side that I don't think it is, if, if, you're, if you're talking about that idea, that's the way to talk about it. Not that God's like, oh, you reached the line, I'm done with you. Nothing in the Bible, God, God has said he'll, he'll finish the good work he began in you. God, if that's possible, it's not because God ran out of patience or ran out of power. That'll never be the case. That was a right and an amen. Everybody could have, mm, something on that. that that's good truth right there. I hope you care about that. This, this ain't a God thing, if, if that's even possible. So, this is the end. I know this has been long. You should have known it would be. <laughs> so you, you came. So whatever. Today. However you read this warning, bottom line, however you read it, don't take it lightly. But also don't live in fear over it. However you read it, you are welcome to the throne of grace to ask the Lord to help your heart to be soft, fertile soil in which the seed of the gospel takes deep root and produces fruit for God's glory and our good. That's the bottom line. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for Hebrews 6. Thank you, Lord, that even if the author's point was about soil and being... uh, Good stewards of the, the manifold blessings of God, I, I, I thank you in your providence. Uh, you've allowed us to squabble over these things. I think there's, I think there's value sometimes in those, in those conversations, in those pushes and pulls uh, when it's done with charity and humility, when it's done in the spirit of love. And so, Lord, help us, no matter what the kind of doctrinal pinpoint is that, that we're dealing with or thinking about, Lord, please help us to be of those who are humble to be of those who walk in love in every situation. May it never be that a doctrine of God is the thing that pulls us out of the main things you've told us matter, that we would walk in love, that we'd walk humbly before our God, that we would uh, keep, keep the good of others as a higher priority than, than our own good. May we never let go of these principles, even as we may uh, debate or discuss, think through uh, these these large issues. Lord, also help us to help us have the good sense to, uh, to go to the bottom lines. Help us, Lord, to be more aware as believers of the things, the very important things that we agree on uh, throughout different denominations and, and different streams and movements within the larger Christian church. Help us, help us Lord, to be ones who are who are good at seeing the bottom line, or good at seeing the things we, we agree about, and, and not being known for the things we disagree about. Uh, may we be marked by, by love and humility, and uh, thank you, Lord, for your help in, in navigating this today, and I ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to make clear anything I left unclear, and um, I ask God that you would uh, help us all to move forward from here in the power of your Spirit, and uh, have good conversations. 
that lead to your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.